Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, we are um, privileged this morning to have uh, Reverend Brian Salter with us from Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, where he serves as the senior teaching pastor. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, so we're going to talk about the election. Um, and I thought the first question, a good appropriate question would be, Brian, as a, a shepherd of God's people, um, how have you been praying um, really yesterday and today? Yeah, I uh, have been praying for two things, uh, humility and wisdom. Um, I'm praying that particularly for the church, but also for our country. We are, as one uh, psychologist in California said, we find ourselves in an incubator of anxiety and anger. And there's so much contributing to that. The national election is just one of those, whether it be COVID or the uh, racial injustice and issues that we face, um, whether it be economic uncertainty, uh, there's so much angst. And the reason I'm praying for humility is because that is actually the way through anxiety. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 through 7, you may be familiar with verse 7, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you, and that's a good one. It's actually a subordinate uh, reality. In other words, cast is not the primary command. It's humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he may exalt you, casting your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. So if we remove our anxiety by casting our cares, we're not going to cast our cares until we humble ourselves. And I've, I just find that at the, at the heart of everyone I'm dealing with, there's anxiety. There's anxiety today. And we need humility to not live out of the anxiety. Because Jesus said, do not be anxious about anything. So that should be a goal of ours. That today, how can I live without anxiety in light of the national election? I'm going to have to humble myself. So I'm praying for that, praying that people would realize their allegiance to the kingdom, which requires humility, the sovereignty of God, which requires humility, the priority of love, which requires humility, the practice of civility, which requires humility, and then wisdom. Uh, wisdom is really basically knowing how to apply things that aren't specifically stated here. And that includes things like voting. I don't get the answer here, and so I need wisdom. And interestingly, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, so humility is the way to wisdom. I feel like those two things are not surprisingly lacking in the world, but what crushes me is that they're lacking in the church. And that should not be, and, and it is, it's present right now. So I, I woke up this morning, and one of the first things that I prayed for was my, my daughter's hearts. Um, came into the office, and um, there's a sense of, of tension, of, like you said, anxiety. Um, uh, not, not quite confusion, but, but close. So with everything feeling very immediate, was wondering if you'd be willing to pull us back a bit and set this national election in the context of sort of salvation history, sort of big picture, right? P pull us back a little bit and just remind us 
where we are and what we're doing? Well, we're in exile. Uh, I think that's really important for us all to know. That would help us all put this thing in context. Peter, when he writes his first letter, uh, he calls them exiles, scattered, which means they were scattered from Jerusalem, the holy place. Well, we are not yet home when the new heaven comes to earth. And so we're aliens, we're strangers, uh, but our primary citizenship is the kingdom of heaven. We actually have a passport and it is not really primarily an American. It's kingdom citizens. So it should not surprise us in exile that there are tensions and disturbances among the rulers of this world. Uh, all you have to do is read redemptive history to see how that's gone, whether it's first and second kings. Um, you also read Psalm 2, that the, the rulers of this world mock and scoff at God. And yet one of the things we need to do to place ourselves in redemptive history is to, this will help you, hear the laughter of God today. Because Psalm 2 says, the Lord sits enthroned in heaven and he laughs that somehow we might think his rule would be subverted by an election. He laughs. I really need to hear the laughter of God today that he is sovereign and ruling that Psalm 2, don't you know there's a king in Zion? Um, but also, there's a lot of anxiety about whether or not there will be loss of religious liberty. But I would ask you, just as you read redemptive history, look for the presence of religious liberty. It's just a question that maybe we're fighting so aggressively to preserve something that actually doesn't help the church in many ways. I've traveled to India, China, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Turkey, Uzbekistan. I've been to England and Scotland, and I've seen the church actually at its best when it's pressed down. I feel like some of the anxiety is don't take our religious liberty. Now, obviously, that's in our history as a country. Um, but again, that's not our primary pursuit. Our primary pursuit is, is to glorify God in all that we say and do. So, Jesus, if you want to talk about election, I thought about today saying, well, let's talk about Ephesians 1. That's the election that matters, that he chose you before the foundation of the world. Guess what? You can't lose that one today. And so that places you as a child of the living king who rules and reigns, and he sits in heaven and does as he pleases, and, and that gives us great trust. So, um, yeah, I think we, you look at the people of Israel, you look at the church in Acts, we're preaching through Acts. Um, they were not fighting for religious liberty, they were fighting for justice. Paul, when he was uh, wrongly accused as a Jewish citizen, did stand up to that. But it was through the oppression of the government that the church actually thrived in faith because it figured out who has real faith or not. And I wonder sometimes if that's our biggest fear. We don't want to face that question because comfort and ease will not, you don't have to face that question. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And I, I think you, 
you've already started to address this. Um, in 2018, Tim Keller wrote an article about, about our two-party system and about how Christians fit into it. And one of the things he talked about was historical Christian positions on social issues and how they don't really fit into our two-party system, right? You, you look at something like um, care for the poor and racial justice being considered liberal issues and um, concerns for marriage between a man and a woman, sex being reserved for marriage, being considered a very uh, uh, conservative issue. Um, so Keller's kind of pointing out, don't necessarily fit, but I've, you've heard it, you've experienced it. Um, I've, I've talked to students um, who, who tend to believe that party alignment, it, that there's a, a Christian party alignment. Um, I've even heard a couple of, of folks reflect that they're not sure you can actually be a Christian and vote for Trump. And I've also heard people say, I'm not sure you can be a Christian and vote for Biden. Will you, will you just reflect a bit on, on what you're seeing in the church on that front and what the antidote to that might be? Yeah, first, um, any standard you apply for being a Christian that adds to the work and atonement of Jesus Christ is a fallacy. It's wrong. It's false. Um, we are in Christ. We are Christians because of the work of Christ that is finished and say, as we were saved by grace alone through faith alone, not through faith alone, grace alone, and with a Trump vote, and not by grace alone, faith alone, with a Biden vote. That's adding to the gospel. There are no additions. Um, the church, this is, I heard um, Sam Donaldson say that this is as divided as America's been since the Civil War. I would say that's threatening the church as well. And one of the things that has helped me is to try to understand why people from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds vote as they do. One of the problems with our, our world is we put ourselves in an echo chamber of people that think like us, so we are convinced that then if you don't vote like that, you must not be us, which is right Christians. But I do a weekly radio show on WNOO, Chattanooga, Thursday at 2, with Alfred Johnson, the pastor of Church of the Firstborn. WNOO is the soul of Chattanooga. It has a very large market share for the African-American community. I've learned a whole lot being there and listening to callers and talking to Alfred about why people vote the way they do based on their experience, which is very, very different than mine. Just even consider the poor. Do not vote based on what may happen or not happen in the markets. That's a value of the rich who actually have those investments. They vote with a whole different set of needs. One of the problems that is dividing the church is we're not aware of other needs beyond our own. We're not aware of the breadth of how someone could vote regarding certain issues. So I've spoken before about co-belligerency. Um, 
Co-belligerency is when you're, you have an ideal that Christians should pursue and you will lock arms with a non-believer for that pursuit. It doesn't mean you're an ally, it means you're a co-belligerent. Schaefer wrote about that in the 70s. And so the real issue though is what are you going to be co-belligerent about? And so there's some that would say, of course, it's abortion, it's pro-life. But others would say, well, it's actually racial injustice. It's actually uh, continued economic laws that are unjust and not promoting life for all. And what you determine to be co-belligerent about is often determined by your experience, your status, your circumstance, your socioeconomic status, your ethnicity. And so generally, if we would really seek to find out why people voted the way they did and ask good questions versus assuming that if they voted that way, they're out, that would lead to real dialogue, understanding, and actually, I believe, love. But we're not asking, tell me really why you voted like that. We're not asking questions. We're bringing accusations. And that's going to not only divide our country, that's going to divide the church. And I believe you can be a Christian and vote for Trump and vote for Biden and vote for a third party or a write-in. I believe that is a genuine reality. Because neither party represents all the values of the kingdom of God. They are both at best partial. At best, both are partial. And both of them are very fallen. And so you're going to be a co-belligerent with either one. What is the deceitful thing is somehow that we believe that one of them represents the kingdom of God fully. That is deceitful and, and a lie from, from the evil one, quite frankly, to divide the church. Um, following right in that, that line of thought, <clears throat> And I realize this would have been a, a question very fitting before the election, but I think it also it applies now, even as we're evaluating and thinking through where we're at. Um, <clears throat> you, uh, you sent out a video a while back, and I know LNPC has uh, a document on guiding principles for a Christian in a voting cycle. And in one of them, uh, it says that we should vote for the candidate who endorses the policies that most promote and protect the practices that glorify God and advance his prescribed just treatment of creation. Um, so my question is, how do you determine which candidate that is? And I'm, I think you may have just answered it, but um, do you have anything else to, to add there? Because obviously where we're coming from are different. But in this echo chamber, when we're hearing so many different things, how do we actually determine the better candidate. That is a really hard question. Yeah. Um, maybe some of you have seen the documentary. I think it's called The Social Network. Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. That's actually creating the chamber for us based on our histories and it's actually pouring kerosene on our fires and we don't even know it. Um, so one of the ways I would, one thing I would say is to talk to people who love Christ in a very different 
socioeconomic or e ethnic situation than you. Uh, that'll give you some open eyes, but when you think about policies that most represent the kingdom and promote the just treatment of creation, okay, right there you have abortion is an issue there, climate is an issue there, the just treatment of creation. Any injustices in any legal economic uh, system, prison reform is in there. The just treatment of creation uh, would be uh, the laws, the judicial branch, who's going to oversee our interpretation so people are treated justly. You're going to go on and on about economic policies that will actually help but not hurt the poor and bring them hope and now tell me which candidate embodies all of those. And so at some point, I go back to co-belligerency, and what are the, I, I ha, you have to start to ask, are the issues that I think are represented by that party that I'm so passionate about actually being addressed historically by that party or not? And I think that's something that a lot of people did with the pro-life vote. I think a lot of people said, have the people that have been pro-life actually propagated us towards a pro-life stance? Or is, are the, all these other things falling apart and we're making no progress on that? And I want to kind of emphasize all these other things. Erwin Entz, who was here last week, he was with us at Lookout a little bit, you know, talks about the Westminster Confession of Faith on the moral law. And Sadly, I think our stance as Christians of being against abortion has actually more been pro-birth, not pro-life. Because there's a lot of other policies that have to do with the flourishing of life. And I wonder if we have neglected those things while holding that other thing. So don't be a one policy. I don't think a one-issue voter is actually always wise because it typically is not paying attention to your neighbors and their needs, and the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. The unborn is our neighbor, but so are a lot of other folks. So I listen, I pray. Uh, I do think character matters. I really do. Um, as, as the character of a leader is, so goes that organization that he leads. And so, I think character is something to factor in. It's not the whole. What do you do when you, if you, if you have two candidates that have character that you don't feel comfortable with? I think you then become a policy voter. And, but think about righteousness and wickedness just for a second. Bruce Walkie defines righteousness as disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of another. Wickedness is to the disadvantage of others. I just wonder sometimes in our votes how much we're thinking about others. Like I want to actually disadvantage myself by giving an advantage to others by giving them, in a sense, my vote. That their well-being may flourish more than just being concerned about my well-being, my investments, my stuff. So, yeah, no, that's.
that's, that's great. Um, also in the guidelines, there, there was a piece in there that, that said that as Christians, we must be among the most well-read and thoughtfully attentive to issues regarding our country. Um, you mentioned social dilemma, and we know that, that most social media, um, Google, YouTube, they, they feed us what we want to hear, right? So if, if you happen to watch a Ben Shapiro um, video on YouTube, YouTube's not gonna recommend a great Cornell West video to follow it up. It's gonna be more in the, the same line. Um, our social media tends to do the same thing. So the question is, how on earth can we be well-informed? How can we be attentive to social issues when most of it really tends to be um, polarizing? And, and I think in, the, in our office, you mentioned demonizing political rhetoric that, that we kind of sit in. How, how, yeah, how do you do it? It's hard to be well-informed because everything is coming at us an angle and we're only getting partial reality. Um, I listened to a couple of things on both sides. So one person I listened to often in his debrief about what's happening in the world is Al Mohler on a podcast that, that he has. It's, I don't always agree with all of the conclusions, but it helps me understand uh, a respected evangelical leader that I, I, I respect and with but he really is thoughtful about how he assesses the world. There's also World Magazine has a podcast, The World and Everything in It, that is another way to do that. Uh, NPR has a thing called Fresh Air that is another way to see the world, and I do try to listen to NPR as well, understanding everybody's bringing their piece to the game. Uh, one voice that's most helpful to me is David Brooks. The two people that actually are most helpful for me is to watch Brooks and Shields talk on uh, PBS News because they actually respect one another and disagree in very healthy ways. Um, and so, you know, those are some of the sources. And then I listen to people in our denomination that I trust that are on different sides of political issues. Um, I follow Irwin Entz very closely and appreciate Irwin's contribution. Um, I follow uh, Dr. Harry Reeder and appreciate his contribution. And um, uh, there's many others, but those are just examples of I'm trying to listen to both and then discern, okay, let me, let me basically swallow the meat and spit out the bones. And um, so that's, that's hard to do sometimes. Do you, do you think social media tends to be all bones? <laughs> there's a lot of bones in social media, yeah. There's all bones in the comments. It's all bones in the comments. Um, so just don't. Right, right. Um, this is a, a theological question we were, we were actually talking about in our family the other evening. Love it if you'd just reflect on it a bit. Um, does God's sovereign appointing of rulers equal his approval of the rulers that he appoints? No. Um, it doesn't mean he wholeheartedly embraces all that he appoints, um, but he is the appointer who has a design and a plan that is going in a trajectory that's good for, good for us as, as believers. Um, 
there is a reason for the appointee, but it doesn't mean that God endorses the appointee. Um, and you can see that with the kings, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Um, you have to believe that when you read history of leadership, um, that God would not endorse their behavior, but God used his appointees for particular things. Even, I was struck this isn't really fully election, it's a little bit of code, but I was on a call with the United Kingdom Partnership uh, that is helping to plant churches in England and Scotland with about 85 people. And you probably, like me, have asked a whole lot, like, why COVID? Why the mask? Why do we have to go through this pandemic? And I discovered one of these great reasons that God brought it for the sake of the kingdom. Businesses are closing up shop in the United Kingdom because of COVID restrictions. And guess what's becoming available? The churches in England and Scotland could not figure out for years, how are we going to afford a building? And now there are for sale signs in hot spots in cities. And they're rallying finances to buy the buildings. So I was like, well, that helps me relate to COVID. That helps me actually say, thank God for this pandemic. You're doing something I couldn't see. God will do similar things by whoever wins this election. And we may not be privy to seeing it. We may. Um, in, in the time of national election, uh, COVID, worldwide pandemic, the, all of the um, attendant issues and challenges, churches uh, being, being closed, some meeting now, some still virtual. Um, I, I think everyone is, is feeling a deep need for rest. Um, for um, God's peace and relief. Would you talk for just a moment as a, a pastor about Sabbath, about our need for it in this time specifically, and how we might go about it um, if our churches are meeting in ways that are not, we're not used to or that maybe we're not meeting yet as a, a community? Yeah, it's pretty tiring time, isn't it? I mean, I feel like we went, I don't know about you, but I feel like we went from lockdown and isolation to a faster pace than we were on before lockdown, or at least it felt that way. There was no in-between, let's get you up to speed and comfortable with coming back. It just was green light go, and exhaustion's a, a reality, so much so that um, I had a physical yesterday, and I'm heading for a nuclear stress test. So I'm right in the midst of this question. Um, Sabbath rest for me involves walking and praying because it gets me moving. That decreases me being sedentary and it gets me focused on handing off things to the great king. Sabbath for me also means a centering which Sabbath is supposed to center us and assure us that God runs the world when we stop. Isn't that awesome? That when we stop, things keep going? We're not as we think. So I try to stop midday and just stop and be quiet and ask a few questions about what's going on in my heart and my mind. 
with an acronym TRAP. Uh, where am I being tempted? Where am I addicted? Now that can mean I'm addicted to getting my own way in this next meeting. Um, where am I uh, arrogant uh, is another A. And so I'm going through these things, trying to discern what's going on inside of me so that then I can move from rest to work, even in midday. But Sabbath's a funny answer, question for a pastor, particularly with Sundays. Um, so I have to find another day. Um, but I do think there's a power in ceasing work, and you've got to find ways to do that so you can discover the great truth that you're not as important as you think you are, and God can actually give rest to your souls. Um, I, do, I am concerned about church attendance. Um, I think people are bailing on live streams and Zooms because they're just tired, and there's limited capacity in churches, and maybe they can't even get into the church they want to. Um, but we got to find a way to maintain vibrant corporate worship yeah. as a Sabbath for our souls. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're, we're almost out of time. I'd like to do two things. Um, one, I'd like to pray for you. Yeah. How can we pray for you? Um, maybe we'll just spend a, a few moments silently um, asking everyone here to, to lift you up in prayer, and we'd love to know how to do that. I really need to lead uh, LMPC with humility and wisdom. And when it's hard, it's hard when there are very passionate viewpoints on everything. Now, the majority is very positive, but the minority voice is relentless because it's about multiple things. And so even though it's in the minority, it becomes the majority because there's so many things that people are stirred up at God about. And what usually happens is that projects onto a pastor. Mm -hmm. Steve Brown, one of my professors, one of the best things he told me, he said, you know that people will treat their pastor in the same way they treat God because you're, you're a representative of him, so if they're really mad at him, here they come at you. If they're really anxious about what he's doing, here they come at you, because you represent him. And I'm feeling that. I think all pastors are feeling that. So uh, that's a prayer. Um, yeah. Well, why, don't we, why don't we take a moment and uh, pray for Reverend Salter. Um, I'll, I'll open us, and then maybe we can just silently pray for him. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for Brian. Thank you that you've called him and appointed him, uh, that you've gifted him. Um, thank you for his willingness to serve his church and our community, uh, to minister to us here this morning. Um, I pray, Father, that you will uh, bless him by your presence, that you will um, help him as he leads his family and look him out in Presbyterian Church. And we ask now, Lord, um, as we pray, that you'll give him wisdom and they'll give him humility.
Father, thank you for Brian. Bless him uh, by your spirit and in Christ's name we ask. Amen. And then I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind just for the next minute or so, if you would pray for us and, and our community. Um, our, our students and our, our entire community, we have really strong opinions across the board on just about everything and um, some very tired people. Um, and we would love it if you would be willing to lift us up in prayer. Yeah, I would love to. And just if you're feeling the polarization or if someone's telling you you are contributing to it, they're probably right. Um, and I know you're tired of reading, probably. But do, if you're in that situation, I invite you to read Arthur Brooks' book, Love Your Enemies. It will help you discern how to not be one who is polarizing and biting and devouring. Um, so let me pray for y'all. Thank you, Lord, for Covenant College and these students. You have asked a whole lot of these students this fall. It's not been normal. There's been no fall break. They have had to keep protocols, and the pace of learning has been swift. And I know they're tired. And I ask that you would refresh and strengthen them. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant to them in this political season of uh, anxiety, anger, polarization. Would you allow each student here at Covenant College to humble themselves under your mighty hand, casting all their cares upon you because you care for them. And in so doing, may that give rest to their anxiety and anger that they may then treat one another well with love, civility, and care and compassion. Give them peace of mind and heart, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.